Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. You're listening to Agenda by Women in the Arts. I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. And I'm Katie Winton. So today we're talking about storytelling and the relationship between emotion and cognition and how that relationship affects this totally bananas political moment that we're in right now. So we're really excited to be speaking with writer and performer Ivan Kiyoti, whose show Tomboy Survival Guide is closing this evening for Sydney Festival. Yeah, it's been a big couple of weeks for activism. Even since our last show, it feels like we're in a really singular and potentially very important period where I guess many of us are confronting our political identities and figuring out how we sit with the function and the utility of protest. Yeah, I think that's something that I'm definitely grappling with. Like, does protest work? Do these big kind of outpourings of solidarity, does that convert to political change? So the Women's March was the largest protest in US history. And then here in Sydney, we had the Invasion Day March across Australia as well um, on Thursday, which grew from a few hundred participants last year to thousands this year. And I think that that was something that was really like palpable at the march. People were like, oh, not only are there so many people here, but there are so many young people. And I wonder if that reflects something more broadly about about people's like political apathy and engagement and as well as like uh, maybe our growing capacity to empathise with intersections of oppression outside of our own experience. And for me, looking at these kind of protests and seeing them, I kind of think maybe we are getting better. Are we? Are we getting better? Yeah, I don't know. I think they definitely invoke a sense of community and awareness and that consciousness raising makes us feel like we're achieving some sort of progress. But I guess on the flip side of that, I'm quite conscious of curating how I personally see my friendships in real life and online. I make conscious decisions to eradicate anyone from my social media feeds that doesn't agree with the viewpoint that I have. And I wonder whether that creates kind of this false sense of security in terms of progression. Am I purposefully seeing things that I want to see and therefore thinking that we're coming further than we are? Yeah, like in the bubble, it can feel like everything is changing. And I feel like for me, the conversations that I've been having with my like family and my friends, it seems like we're coming so far in the last few years and that those conversations are becoming more um, well-informed and complex. But then you, and you think, yeah, we're coming so far. And then you look at the way that they're being covered in the media so like my my Instagram feed and my Facebook feed is just like saturated with like really amazing inspiring photos of like people showing solidarity with each other and just huge outpourings of um, you know people coming together but then you see that in America like CNN has barely picked up the women's marches and a lot of newspapers didn't pick it up at all. Yeah, I'm really interested to know what people think. Again, text us 0409-945-945. Do you feel... How do you feel about protest? How do you feel about marching? Did you march in the Invasion Day marches? What does that mean for you? And I think even beyond the and within the movements themselves, it's not as if there's a cohesive voice. I think everyone has such different opinions and there's a lot of tension and kind of nuanced, uh, I guess, feelings between people within these movements. Yeah, exactly. And I think like a lot of people saw that photo. Did you see it? It was like the there was these three women, white women with um, their pussy hats and they were like taking selfies. And then there was a, like a, another woman in the foreground with a poster that she looked super unimpressed and she was like eating a lollipop and um, she had, a, she had a, like a poster that was like, don't forget that 
white women voted for Trump and like the poetics of just like that image was like, oh my God, this is not like a cohesive movement. There is like very real tension. And of course there is because it's such a huge movement. Yeah, that photo was amazing and hilarious. And I guess a lot of the time these spaces, and we talk about this quite often where these movements actually reproduce exclusionary practices. And the Women's March did run into a lot of criticism about how hard it must be for trans people and GNC people to walk amongst women who are saying that there's a really strong conflation between having a vagina and being a woman. The pussyhats didn't really allow for a spectrum of gender. Not everyone has a pink pussy. Yeah, I thought it was really naff when I saw that, like, when they first started coming out, I was like, oh, cool, woo girl, like, (laughs) not into it at all. To be honest, which is completely opposite to how I felt when I saw it initially. I... I really liked it and I definitely don't, on one hand, I don't think that pink vaginas should be the galvanizing symbol of feminism, but at the same time, it was a direct response to one of the most powerful men in the world saying that his position of power allows him to grab women by the pussy. Like it was a very direct response to that. I get that like it wasn't like white women just kind of spontaneously decided to galvanize around it, but I just think, and yeah, like it's cute, but that kind of gender essentialism like really actively promotes and like an alienation of trans folk. And I think it like erases their presence within the movement and their legitimacy of their struggle. It kind of says like, this is for us. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess a lot of the time it's not intentional, is it? It's just, you don't think about things that are outside of your own experience. Yeah. 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 But I think that part of the problem with protests is it's always kind of who's shouting the loudest and neither of those experiences eradicates the other. And for movements, well, for me personally, for movements to progress and actually affect meaningful change, I think we need to be listening rather than shouting, which is why storytelling is so important. <laughs> so after this track, we're going to talk to one of the most incredible storytellers that I've encountered, Ivan Coyote. Um, but first, I'm going to defer to Queen Latifah for a hot minute with Unity, U-N-I-T-Y. <laughs> Your own agenda. <laughs> Take it out on me, 
but that's about enough. You put your hands on me again, I put your ass in handcuffs. I guess I felt so deep in love, I grew dependency. I was too blind to see just how it was affecting me. All that I knew is you was all the man I had. And I was scared to let you go, even though you treated me bad. But I don't want to see my kids see me getting beat down by daddy smacking mommy all around. You say I'm nothing without you, but I'm nothing with you. A man don't really love you if he hits you. This is my notice of the tool, I'm not taking it no more. I'm not your personal whore, that's not what I'm here for. Ain't nothing good gon' come to you, till you do right by me. Brother, you wait and sit in the bitch. We've been chatting about emotion and cognition and I can speak from experience um, that the two of us, uh, from on behalf of the two of us, when I say that Tomboy Survival Guide was one of the most emotional experiences I've had, and I think you have too, Katie, in a very long time. Katie and I cried during the performance and then we went up to dinner and we made everyone deeply uncomfortable around us by crying all the way through our dinner. So Yeah, really uncomfortable, but we're joined by the writer and star of Tomboy Survival Guide, Ivan Coyote. Good morning. Thanks for coming and to that's chat not, to us. Thank you. And that's not to diminish how amazing your band is as well. They're, they're the band is pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Ivan, uh, we were wondering why you chose Survival Guide, the kind of format of a survival guide to tell the story. I felt like it was a really joyful experience, but the word survival is a kind of interesting choice. I was wondering how the idea of survival figures in your writing and the kind of stories that you do tell. Okay, well, Survival Guide, it came from um, when I was a kid. I was, well, I still am, actually. I was sort of obsessed with, uh, like, how-to manuals and camping survival and, like, wilderness survival. And, I mean, it was partly growing up in the Yukon and partly growing up with, like, an uncle who has, like, a bunker full of, like, non-perishable goods in the basement. That was part of it. And for me, manuals were this way into sort of male culture and knowledge that, um, I could circumvent the dealing with the males part to some extent. I could go away and read about stuff. And uh, so I actually had quite a collection of manuals and guides, uh, the old school kind of ones, um, 
uh, collected up until I had a house fire in 2005. Mm. And they, along with all the rest of my material possessions, were burnt up. And then I started again. And um, uh, so that's where, if you see the book, uh, Tomboy Survival Guide, it's in- included in, in the book are all these great um, illustrations that I culled from. They had to be over 50 years old so that we the, the rights had reverted back to the public domain. Not that I didn't want to um, honour the original artists at all. It was more a question of tracking down the original artists who had drawn, like, figure one, you know, how to make a... Uh, a tree fort, you know, and a manual from 1936 or something like that. So that's where that originally came from. And then, um, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, this whole concept of thrive and survive. And uh, it turned out to be pretty prescient because of what's going on now in the United States with Trump. Like, I think that really we were, we're talking about for lots of marginalized communities, it's it's not about, you know, we're not making any of this up. We haven't been making any of this up. And uh, so I think survival is actually on the table. And I guess that's sort of where mm. where the origins of that came from. Right. Yeah, yeah, we actually wanted to ask whether the reception of your stories has changed because of the political climate that the U.S. is in at the moment. Talk to me post-March, end of March, where I have to go to South Dakota for a conference, right. and um, there's uh, anti-trans bathroom bill legislation on the docket there right now as we speak. You know, it's never been easy uh, crossing the border into the United States for for me as a trans person. There's, uh, you know, always additional scrutiny and strip searches sometimes, you know. Um, so I don't know. Actually, Australia, to be honest, since the inauguration, uh, Australia's been the first the first gigs that I've done. After the election, I had a bunch, but they were all in Canada. So in Canada, you know, we're all reeling and, of course, terrified mm. um, because we're neighbours, so it's going to, you know. And right now there's a petition, I think, starting to have Justin Trudeau, who's our prime minister, accept American citizens as refugees. Mm. Wow. Political refugees. Right. And I think that's where we're at. Right, yeah. Yeah. But you've been to Australia before. Yeah. In the past, yeah. Yeah, I was in Australia um, for uh, Melbourne Writers' Festival and for Queensland Poetry Festival last August and September and had a fantastic time. And uh, and then this uh, Sydney Theatre Festival trip was already on the docket and then I'm back again, actually, in May and early June. I'll be back in Sydney. I think it's a uh, 13-city tour that I'm doing of New Zealand and Australia. That's a, I'm trying to think of 13 Australian cities. <laughs> there's a, well, there's a few oh, come in, on. In no, no, no. Not everything's um, right in the centre. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to Perth. I'll be back in mm-hmm. Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, Byron Bay, and then I, ca- I can't remember right now. Yeah, I yeah. think um, someone writing about you was saying about, like, metro normativity and the way that, you know, we have this idea of, like, queer experiences being very inner city experiences but you're the I just think it's amazing that like the stories that you tell I've never I can't ice skate I'm not trans <laughs> and like I all of these experiences was, I was like oh, they're so relatable and it was pretty incredible to I mean I think that's a testament to your storytelling well I think it's a testament to the power of like personal narrative and story in general mm-hmm. um and I think that's as a storyteller what you're what you should be always trying to do is like, uh, you know, tell your own story, but tell it in a way that invites the listener in 
um, so that somehow it can resonate with their own experience, you know. And that's one of the most powerful things about storytelling for me is those moments when, like, this giant Australian guy, like, if you thought about the, like, stereotypical Australian dude guy, he was there last night, big white beard, like, furry arms and back, and uh, he came up and, like, gave me a giant sweaty hug and said, you're right, you're not that pretty, but you're pretty great. <laughs> wow. So. Um, it is so powerful. And I think one of the most powerful things about inviting people into your story is that you have to be really honest and open. And I wonder, how do you deal with the emotional labor of you describe in your show getting letters from people and them having to ask you about what your advice is and you being this person who seems to have all the answers how do you deal with the emotional labor of that um well the the there's there's the emotional labor of of that um the the letters that I get and stuff like that and uh and that's an ongoing thing and um and sometimes they're great and sometimes they're not great you know and uh, I was faced with this kind of ethical dilemma a while ago when I um hired an assistant because uh, one of the things that I was sort of thinking about having um, them do was to it was to check my mail before I did and sort of filter out some of the nastier hate mail and stuff like that. And then I thought, you know, there's not an hourly wage that I can afford to pay someone to fob that off on someone else. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would t- I talked to a couple friends of mine. They said, oh well, it's not the same thing because it's not directed at them, and it's you know they have a one layer of separation. And I was like, no, you don't. Like even just knowing that there's minds out there that work like that, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Some of the stuff I get, especially from the you know the United States, um, whenever that TED talk gets retweeted, and I can tell because I wake up in the morning, it's like, oh great, there's right. 21 tweets, and half of them are telling me that they're gonna show me what the right to a, a concealed carry or gun looks like, and if I ever get caught in a bathroom with their daughter, they're gonna shoot me and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so there's that part of it, and and uh, frighteningly, I'm getting better actually at dealing with that. It bothers me less than it did when it first started happening, so I guess that's a good thing. I don't know what it, what the like. I'm not sure what if I was seeing a therapist, what they would they would count. Yeah, the that's like really unhealthy of kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, compartmentalizing yeah. or whatever you want to call it. And then um, and then there's all the great stuff. And then there really is, you know, um, and I guess one of the ways that I deal with that is I wrote about it in that. Like I wrote that. I mean, I really mean that line. You know, it's ter- it's a terrifying thing. You know, the pain of a stranger. It's impossible to bear it. But um, but uh, I guess in lots of ways, I'm also grateful and honored that they would come to me for that kind of help. Um, I guess the the flip side of that is is trying to feel like I'm a good enough person to warrant that kind of um, uh, trust, and uh, you know, to someone coming to you with advice. Um, that that said, you know, uh, the more I'm on the road, and means the more that my work is out there, means the more likely that I'm going to receive those letters. So now I've just learned to try to pace myself and to realize that like I'm just one human being and I need to sleep and I need to be with my sweetheart and I need to play with the puppy and I need to have a bath and I need to do things that regenerate myself and um, you know feed me in the right ways so that I can so that I can deserve to be you know anyone's role model and um, 
and so often I just write, you know, I write them. Sometimes people just, uh, they want to connect with you, and so they just write you about stuff that they could Google. Yeah, right. You know, so then I fight that urge to send them the link. Uh, have you seen that link? <laughs> Here, let me actually. Google that for you. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, you know, and uh, so and so, I guess I've just had to learn somehow to filter it all out, and you know, pass the the stuff on that I that's really just about you know someone doing their own work. And I mean, I hear that from any marginalized group, although I don't like the term in some ways. But mm. you know, uh, there's emotional labor, and yeah. uh, that's involved. And you know, not to always ask the marginalized people to do that for mm. you like there is this thing called the internet there are these <laughs> things called libraries like you know go and do your work and then so f filter out and know those questions mm. and then know the questions that really are just meant for me to answer and then just give myself the time to ponder them and answer them with the kind of respect and the kind of thoughtfulness that they deserve I guess and yeah right we're going to take a track now from Ray Spoon and when we come back we'll be talking more about storytelling with Ivan Coyote great listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, where we unpack art, politics, pop culture and trash from a feminist perspective. That was Ray Spoon with The Beast Is Me. Um, and you wrote and performed Gender Failure with Ray Spoon? 
That's how, correct, yeah. yeah. How, how does that process compare with writing something like Tomboy Survival Guide? Uh, well, Ray and I, we also worked on another project that went back to like 2006, 2007 called the You Are Here Project, which was uh, um, sort of stories about the, about the Yukon. And uh, it was very sort of place-based. And uh, I had heard Ray sing this song uh, called um, Progress. And it was uh, kind of like a, a progress with a tongue in cheek, and and I thought it would be perfect. So we had we worked on another live stage show that we toured for a couple of years, and then and then we uh, we got back together for the gender failure project. So we basically shut ourselves up in Ray's apartment in Montreal at the time, and we um, crunched out a bunch of stories and songs that worked together. And then we in 2012 we premiered the gender failure the earliest incarnation of the gender failure show in a theater in new york city and that's when it got seen by another trans artist and animator and filmmaker and well musician and all-around exceptional person named clyde peterson and clyde was like i, I want to do animations for this so so gender failure became this sort of multimedia project and then uh, I really liked the the writing and the work from it, so uh, I pitched it to Brian Lamb at Arsenal Pulp Press, and that was where uh, Gender Failure, the book, originated. And then the Tomboy Survival Guide project was a little bit different. It was, uh, I was sort of, whole, like I said, I'd been collecting these manuals, and the book itself changed a lot from its original inception. So I, I was playing in a funk band, an all-queer funk band at the time, and so I sort of cherry-picked Sal Zori for, on the drums and Alison Gorman on the trumpet and Pebbles Villicus on the bass. You cherry-picked very well. You guys just <laughs> seem to work so well together. Yeah, kind of yeah. Incredible to watch. It was, yeah, they're all great musicians. Like, they're just all world-class. You're not too bad yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and um, tonight's the last night. I know we it. have oh, tonight and Sunday night as right, well. Right, okay. Yeah, so we sort of, I already had the stories written and mo for the most part, and then we, again, hold ourselves up in this little uh, pr rehearsal studio in East Vancouver and crunched out the the music. And then sort of we conceived of the stomp piece, the sort of tie-tying piece. And, and then I commissioned Veda Hilly to write the hymn, mm -hmm. the tomboy hymn, what we pray for, that we close the show with. And so it kind of came together like that. Yeah. Um, Speaking of closing the show, that's about all we've got time for. All right, great. We'll pop a link up to the agenda page if you can still get tickets. For you can still get tickets. I think we're on at uh, 5.30 tonight in the Spiegel tent um, at the Meriton Village, is it yeah. called? Yeah. yeah, down at Sydney Festival. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then 7.30 on Sunday night is our closing night, and we would love to pack the house out tonight and tomorrow, so yeah, come well, on we down. we might have to come back. Yeah, please <laughs> do. As well. um, and you can buy... Tomboy Survival Guide. The you book. can buy Tomboy Survival Guide, yeah. the book, especially tonight. I, I think we might start running out of books by Sunday, but we've still got some. Great. And there's t shirts. Oh, yeah. great. And the band will be there. Yeah. Ivan, thank you so much for coming today. Thank to you, talk Katie. to us. It's been great. Thanks, Isabel. We're going to leave now with a track from Princess Nokia called Tomboy. Awesome. This one has a bit of a language warning on it. Stick around for back chat. Tom 
girl is a tomboy. That girl is a tomboy. That girl is a tomboy. Who that is, ho? That girl is a tomboy. That girl is a tomboy. That girl is a tomboy. Who that is, ho? That girl is a tomboy. That girl is a tomboy. That girl is a tomboy. With my little titties and my fat belly, I can tell your man if you finna let me, it's a guarantee that he won't forget me. My body little, my soul is heavy. My little titties be booking cities all around the world. They be fucking with me. I'm a Calvin Klein model. Come and get me set to Rezia. Don't be fucking with me. My little titties are so itty bitty. I go locomotive. Chitty, chitty. Bang, bang. Gold hoops in that main chain. Ten boots are like four ranks. Missy Elliott can't stand the rain. You lame playing the same games. Little titties not so damn pretty. Staircase in a crack Philly. Little titties in a fat kitty. Big pants and some stuffed shoes. Bop a bow, blues clues. With my little titties and my fat belly. 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 Oh. <laughs> 